All right, Gene, uh, if you could share with us the most unique meal experience uh, you've had that could be something you ate or just the environment you ate in, we'd love to, to hear a great story. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I gave this a little bit of thought. You gave me a little advance notice. And um, we were on a trip in Hungary, and it was in the south of Hungary, kind of a, a, on a farm in a little bit of a lower income kind of area. And um, we were sitting there and we were having this great uh, meal that was duck. And we were sitting outside on a bench. And part of the way through the meal, we looked over at the duck pen that was next to us and suddenly realized that there were less duck in the duck pen and that the ones that were left there were looking up at us and kind of quacking and, and uh, you know, participating in our meal, but in a different way. So we uh, had probably the best duck that I've ever had in my life. And it was all due to the fact that it was quite fresh and was uh, <laughs> yeah. prepared for us from the, <laughs> from the great little duck pen that we were sitting right next yeah. to. Yeah, hopefully they didn't have any names. <laughs> no, I don't, th I don't think they did, but that was pretty fun. <laughs> Very good. Welcome to the Better Mission Trips podcast from Standards of Excellence and Short-Term Mission. I'm your host, Tori Ruark, and we believe that mission trips can and should be better. In fact, statistics suggest that maybe as many as 80% of short-term missionaries are going out under-trained and under-prepared. They're going out with the right heart, but they're not going out in the right way. In this podcast, we're going to discover together how to combine the right heart with the right way for God's glory. Well, we're here with Gene Harder from Greater Europe Mission. Um, Gene, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, where you live, where you serve, and your role with uh, Greater Europe Mission. Yeah, so I've, uh, I, I'm married, my wife Melissa and I, and our two kids, Jacob and Ashley, moved to Germany in 2013. Um, that was after 17 years as a, an engineer in the aviation industry, and God mm -hmm. called us into full-time ministry. So... We live here in Southern Germany. My role is as the director of a group called GEM Teams, which is a group of about 20 missionaries within Greater Europe Mission. And our primary focus is leading short-term teams throughout Europe. Um, so we look for ways to come alongside other ministries. Uh, we talk with them about how a short-term team may, or in some cases may not actually help them. So. Mm -hmm. Um, it's our objective to be here in Europe and really understand uh, what the needs are of the different ministries that we serve. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is why we have you on the phone. This is your wheelhouse. We're going to talk about uh, what people need to know um, in order to serve in uh, the European um, post-modern, post-Christian context. Of course, you can clarify uh, how you would label it, but um, we really want to dig in uh, and kind of give some details about um, about you know how to prepare people to serve there. So, yep. um, let's just start with this big picture question. You know, I think most listeners on this are going to be coming from kind of the United States, uh, Western, well, I mean, the North American, perhaps Canadian, also um, background. You know, obviously, you know, you're an American missionary, but we're monotheistic, believe in an afterlife that's eternal, whether you're heaven or hell. Now, of course, there's some who are atheistic, but 
Um, there's probably some similarities. I mean, obviously there's going to be quite a few similarities with Europe, but how would you um, describe the view towards God and the afterlife in Europe? Is it, is it like that with a twist? Has it changed? Um, how would you describe that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you, you used a couple of terms, uh, post-Christian, post-modern. Um, you know, one thing to, to look at, especially in, in the European context, is this idea of post-Christian. So there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of history and, and monuments and relics and different things left over from a, a very um, uh, powerful and, um, and influential time in uh, world Christianity that that resonated from Europe, and so now uh, most of Europe is in a place where they believe they're, you know, they're beyond that. They're in a place where, okay, that was that was interesting history, um, but now they're they've changed their view on, um, you know, what what their beliefs are as far as like you said, talking about afterlife and you know, who is God, there's still a lot of, you know, especially in a German setting, there's still a lot of um, sort of history and um, culture that's kind of built around Christianity. I mean, even right now, this, you know, we're, we're coming up on a cup on, on a few holidays in a row that North American Christians typically don't even celebrate, you know, Pentecost, mm -hmm. uh, Ascension, and some other things yet there are holidays here in Southern Germany. But if I go ask yeah. a typical German, you know, what, what do these mean? Why, why are we celebrating these things? They, they honestly, most of them can't even answer that question. They'll say, well, it's a day off of work. Um, I don't really know what it means. Uh, yeah. So it's quite interesting. We are starting to see some people sort of explore the idea of spirituality. Um, and you'll see that mm -hmm. in post-Christian, post-modern kind of, cultures as well. You know, there's this idea that that they go from, you know, really believing the truth into rejecting the truth and then back into a place where they're trying to figure out what this whole spiritual realm might look like. That they, they, you know, there's some belief that maybe there's something bigger than than, you know, who they are and and some bigger purpose. Mm -hmm. But it often doesn't it often isn't redirected, um, you know, to Jesus and to the truth. Right. Um, so, but it does open doors when we, when we want to have those kinds of conversations. Good. So while they, while generally they might be post-Christian, they're, they're not post-spirituality. They're still, That's right. uh, there's still a, um, a realism of a spiritual element. They're just not restricted anymore to the one, uh, spiritual uh, truth of Jesus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so this might be a little curveball. I hadn't really thought about it until we jumped on here. But um, I, I think, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but um, Europe has experienced um, huge um, immigration, influx of Im immigrants. That's right. Right. I mean, yeah. perhaps similar to the United States. I mean, the United States, obviously, huge influence of immigration. Um, and of course, the diversity that comes with it, the, the new ideas and new religions that come with it, of course, we'll probably mostly talk in a traditional European post-Christian setting. But has, um, how has, has that affected kind of the, mm -hmm. 
the culture and of course Europe is made up of many countries, not just one, but uh, has that, how, you know, has, how has that affected your work or affected the culture there, if, if at all? Yeah, I was going to bring that up, actually. So, so thanks uh, for the lead in. That was nice. Um, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And it's, it's a little bit hard for North Americans to picture this. But first of all, you've got such diverse culture all throughout Europe without even having immigrants coming in, um, right. you know, you, you, from simple things like here in Germany, you always, you know, you shake hands when you greet somebody, you know, I go 30 kilometers away across the border to France and you're going to kiss on two cheeks when you greet somebody, you right. know, so, uh, little things like that. But, um, as you look across Europe, you see just how much diversity there really is. And then you start to talk about immigrants. And so, um, uh, I, I can talk again primarily about Germany. Uh, there was a period of time where there were a lot of um, Turkish immigrants coming into Germany, uh, particularly after World War II and into some other um, and beyond. Uh, so that was a real growth area there. Um, and more recently, it's been a lot of Syrians, uh, Iraqis, Iranians, uh, people from Afghanistan. So a lot of Middle Eastern countries uh, have been immigrating to, to Europe. And in Germany, it's been interesting because, um, you know, there's there's a few different approaches. Uh, one is we're going to we're going to help them understand. This is Germany speaking. We're going to help them understand who we are and expect them to sort of mesh with us. Um, and then the other is, you know, let's go have an integration, go ahead and have an integration of cultures and, and we may each change some. And so um, countries across Europe are reacting a little bit differently in each case. Uh, we have seen some amazing things happening just with, uh, you know, some of the Muslims that are coming over out of some of these countries that after they arrive and they start to kind of, um, uh, ha really have their lives turned upside down, uh, you know, especially if you think of some of the Syrians, um, they do start to question things like, you know, what do I believe in and what is the truth? And getting to have some of those conversations has just been amazing. And, uh, you know, we partner with, with one uh, group up in Frankfurt, a church uh, network up there that's a multicultural church. And they're really reaching some of these people, um, especially from Iraq and, and uh, mm -hmm. Syria and seeing a lot of Muslims uh, come to faith. Um, yeah. So it definitely is changing the landscape. Um, it frustrates mm -hmm. some of the uh, very traditional Germans. Um, but I've also seen it. I've, I've even heard the words come out of some of the German uh, German mouths in that, okay, if we have these Muslims coming here, we ought to be able to describe what our Christianity means to us, which I felt yeah. like was a bit of a spark. It was, it was this idea that, you know, we've become sort of complacent in what we believe in, or we've stopped believing in it and made it just a tradition. And mm -hmm. seeing another culture with another religious background has caused them to sort of re-energize in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, um, and I don't know that we'll see if this works as a question, but again, thinking in terms of more of the traditional European um, yeah. post-Christian, what seems to be, um, 
how do you reach somebody who is uh, perhaps they've been around a Christian world all their life and it just doesn't seem relevant to them. Uh, and of course it's not easy and there's probably not one silver bullet, but have you seen, um, how, you know, maybe it's a way that short-term teams are being utilized or um, how, uh, what seems to be um, the type of thing that reaches Europeans? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a, there's a few things that I can talk about. Um, one is um, really a willingness for uh, authenticity in relationships. So, um, you know, when, when we're trying to build relationships with people in our local culture, whether it's here in Germany or other places that we serve with short-term teams, um, we want to be real with them. We want to be, um, we want to be forthright with what we believe without talking over them. Um, it, it's a little bit hard to describe, but there's this, there's, you know, there's this moment where they suddenly realize, um, I'll give an example. This is kind of a crazy one, but yeah. in one of the cities that we go to, uh, we, it's near a university um, and we'll set up a free bicycle repair clinic in a park that's that a bunch of university st uh, students hang out in mm -hmm. and university yeah. students ride a lot of bikes and Europe has a lot of bikes everywhere. So we'll set this yeah. up and we'll start, you know, we'll go around and we'll say, Hey, we're fixing bikes over here. If you need a, you know, air in your tire, or, you know, oil under chain or whatever, we're, we're here to help. And so you'll get into this conversation and you'll start to go back and forth and, almost always it leads to the question of, well, why are you doing this? And that's, that's that kind of opening to say, well, you know, I believe that God loves me so much that he wants that to flow out of me and to be shared with others. And, and, and then sometimes we'll say something like, you know, we, we actually believe this is a form of church. We're a group of Christians and we believe this is a form of church. And that kind of rocks their paradigm a little bit because to them church is the big steeple in the middle of town. It's that old mm -hmm. building that tourists visit. It's, you know, it's not somebody out on the street doing something for them. And so, you know, when you have that opportunity to serve them in a way that is unexpected, um, in a way that is no strings attached, you know, we're not asking for money. We're not, you know, we're, we're most cases, we're actually not even handing out anything that says, hey, come to church on Sunday. We just want to build a relationship with them. We want to have an opportunity for the people, the local Christians that we're working side by side with, that they can build a bridge to these people, that they can allow mm -hmm. longer term conversations to happen. Um, and I think I think that's something that's hard. Um, you know, short term teams, I, I believe this is true anywhere you do this short-term teams are going to have that they're going to have an impact they're going to have that initial hook they're going to have an, a, an opportunity to do something good for the community um, but often they're not going to see people turning to christ within that short period of time and so that's where being willing to have somebody you know making sure that we have somebody that's willing to have a long-term relationship with the people that we're interacting with is really important mm -hmm. um and so you know i i feel like there's a particular difficulty um in a lot of cases in europe 
that if you're not willing to have those longer term relationships, that that you're really not going to get anywhere with the gospel. Um, but right. to them, it's just noise. If it's just a quick in and out, you know, uh, bombard them with the truth. Um, no matter how true it is, a lot of times it's just noise to them. They're hearing so many other things. And so it's it has to be a longer term uh, commitment of some kind. Yeah. So um, what kind of all of this has kind of been setting up this question here, and then we'll, we'll hopefully be on this for a little while. But so, you know, people who are going to serve there in Europe, what do they need to know about the culture and, and how to interact in order to, you know, have those interactions that are authentic, that are sparking relationships, um, whether it's, you know, between them and the person they met or kind of a three-way with, triangle with the, with the host. Um, what do they need to know about the the culture there? Um, I mean, you're going to speak specifically, you know, Germany, that's your specialty. You've been, of course, around other places. You can't hit every single country, but are, are there some um, kind of big picture, con, you know, cultural concepts that they should know? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really great question because you know, in some ways I want to talk in generalities, like, you know, be ready to serve and be listening, you know, come rather than speaking first, listen first, you know, there's all those, those mm -hmm. really key things when you're serving on a short-term team, um, understanding your hosts and, and really hearing what, what their hearts are for the ministry that you're working on. Um, so those are like broad stroke things, right? Um, yeah, sure. I think it, I think to, to hone in a little bit more, um, if you're talking, uh, you know, sort of traditional European um, background type people, post-Christian. Um, I think, you know, the, there's, I'm not sure how to describe it exactly. I, I think that there's just a need to, um, you know, especially people coming from North America, just be prepared to set aside um some of your expectations, you know, there, yes, Europe is Western, North America is Western. Um, but, you know, depending on where you are in Europe, there, there, there are so many different things from a, just a cultural expectation standpoint. And mm -hmm. I think, I think, and again, this is probably true world, worldwide, but since we're talking about Europe, uh, <laughs> I, I think yeah. that there, um, it's a quick turnoff when, you know, um, let's just be honest, North Americans can be louder. They can be, um, you know, we typically want to jump to solutions rather than spending time in relationship. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think understanding, especially when you're serving on a team. So we often have a lot of our teams are based around projects. And so there's often some goal that we're trying to reach. And one of the things that we talk to people about is let's not only focus on the goal, let's leave space for relationship. Um, so that when you're, when you're side by side with somebody and they want to stop and have a conversation or have a coffee or whatever it might be, allow that space to happen. Um, so I think as people are preparing to come and serve in Europe, they would want to, um, just be ready to be flexible. They'd want to be ready uh, to, um, I think, ask questions. Um, 
you know, it's a little bit, I'm, ha- I'm struggling a little bit answering the question just because I know, yeah. you know, I can picture our sort of um, cheat sheets for each different country and they're also different within Europe. Uh, sure. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, Europeans, depend again, depending on where you serve, they're often, you know, they, they to, to Americans, Europe is often a vacation destination. So Europeans, initial perspective of Americans coming to Europe is those are tourists, right? Yeah, or consumers. They're here to consume. Right, right. Uh, for good or for bad, they're here to consume what we have to offer. Yeah. And, and often probably that's not good. <laughs> right. And and one of the things, actually, I've seen, I've seen this happen a few times. The point where, like, say you're talking to a local in a community and the point where they realize that you've given up a couple of weeks of your personal vacation time and you've raised money and or spent some of your own money to get there to serve them. That is huge. Mm-hmm. That becomes that becomes an opening where where they want to know why you would do something like that. Um, and so I think. You know, having having that perspective of, you know, and that understanding of the first impression of who I am as an American is going to be already set up in Europeans' minds. And so you have to be ready to, to really break free from that and um, give them a perspective of what it looks like to be uh, an American believer who's serving them in some way. Yeah, good. Well, I'll, I feel like I've heard a few really good things. One is, I think, one thing you said is, don't be surprised if the European culture where you're going to is a little warmer towards relationships than even our American, you know, it's easy to think we're so similar, but it might be even a little bit warmer towards relationships than our American culture might be. Um, but I, lo- I love this idea of just realize you're walking into a situation where people have a picture of you as a consumer, and we should be looking for opportunities to be able to share why we're there and, and sharing, uh, make sure, find a way we can share that we're there to serve, not to consume. I like that. That's right. So, um, uh, as you know, and and let's say you get into those situations, you get into a conversation, um, maybe it varies by country, but is it typically over coffee? Is it over tea? Is it over a beer? Is it, does it depend (laughs) on where you are? Uh, what do we have to know about what, what, what is that relational gathering place? Is it over a meal? Uh, Um, give us a few different places. I know some cultures are different, but yeah, I mean, meals, meals are key anywhere, right? I mean, everybody loves a good meal. Um, and every country is going to do it a little bit differently. Uh, when you're say, um, in Greece or, uh, somewhere in that kind of region, it's often over coffee. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the Middle Eastern culture as, you know, because some of the, some of the places we're working, we're actually working with some of the refugee centers in different places. So that could be anywhere in Europe, but you suddenly step into more of a Middle Eastern setting and that's often tea or, or coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's one thing I've, I, you know. So this is kind of funny. I don't, my wife and I don't really drink coffee. Um, We we did live up in Seattle for nine years, but we, we managed not to become coffee drinkers. But I tell you what, if, if there is a a refugee or an immigrant or, or even somebody in Greece, when I know that that is important to them and they offer me coffee, I'm, I'm drinking it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, 
there there is there is that importance and a really interesting thing you mentioned a beer um there are you know you think of germany or or france or even um you know i'll, I'll say like romania or hungary all of these different cultures have a little different perspective on alcohol so a beer mm -hmm. to a german honestly it's more like a water it's it's just a beverage um sure you can get sure you can get drunk with it but that's in most cases that's not the intention um mm -hmm. in france it's a glass of wine in uh other places it's you know it's a shot of whatever their homemade um alcohol is and mm -hmm. um that, that is something that is interesting because there are some teams that come over and they have a perspective on alcohol that is that yeah. that is a little more restrictive. I'll just say it that way. Um, yeah. And and actually, we've had a couple of issues where you know somebody is offering drinks and most of the team is just saying no, no, no. I don't, I don't. We've decided as a team we're not going to drink. That's great, um, but you're missing out on a cultural uh, experience right. now. I'm yeah. not I'm not suggesting that people should uh, who are who abstain from alcohol should suddenly, you know, agree to drink it. But we just need to think through some of those things because it is it does become a cultural um, opportunity. Uh, I'll tell a very brief story. Our first our yeah. first uh, it was within our first month in Germany. One of our neighbors was having like a street party. And so we went over there and uh, they offered wine and beer. And so I had a beer and my wife had some wine. And um, one of the neighbors who was also at the party came up to us and he said, he said, I thought you guys were missionaries. And I said, we are. And he said, I, I didn't think you guys had alcohol. The other missionaries we've had over <laughs> would never have a drink. And we said, no, it's, a, you know, it, it's people's personal decision. And it's not, you know, it's not like no missionaries drink. Um, yeah. And it turned into about a 45 minute conversation with this guy where he was talking through some of the struggles he's had in his life and, and all that, it, mm -hmm. you know, all from, all from me having a, a beer in my hand, suddenly I'm getting into deep conversations with somebody. So yeah. that, that is a good point. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the, the different settings have different expectations. And that's one thing we, you know, we try to do a pretty good job with that as we're preparing teams as well, you know, right. just kind of give them a heads up. You know, we want to understand what their, um, their plans are, but if, but if we hear that a, that a team is going to abstain, we try to have a conversation either with our host in the country and we just say, you know, we want you to understand it's, it's nothing against you, but this team right. has chosen not to have alcohol on this trip, uh, things like that. So yeah. we'll go through it. Um, but it can be an opportunity. Yeah. So let's hit some other maybe um, semi-controversial issues. So, uh, you know, some cultures, tattoos, piercings, things like this are going to be seen as Christians don't do that. Um, but my guess is just, you know, attitudes in Europe towards tattoos, piercings, um, are what are what are those like? Uh most for the most part um totally open i mean it's it's there's no i don't think there's any negative connotation with those things um i actually have uh one actually german pastor that i work with that that says that if he's like if he's interacting with somebody and he sees that they have tattoos 
I think he's got a couple small ones, um, but he'll actually ask them, you know, tell me about your tattoo. And it becomes a conversation yeah. starter. Um, yeah. and, I, and hey, I got, to, I learned from him. Uh, this is, this is a German, a German pastor that I work with. And recently I was on a flight back to the U S for, for a short trip. And there was a young man sitting next to me with some interesting tattoos on his hands. And so I struck up a conversation with him, ended up being able to share the gospel with him based on Mm -hmm. being able to talk about his tattoos. So, um, you know, we'll use those opportunities. Um, I think, you know, there are, we do serve, um, so we do serve in one of the camps in Southern Greece that is primarily uh, Muslim immigrants that have come across. Um, you know, we will have a, I'll call it a dress code, but we will have a bit of a dress code, especially mm-hmm. for women. We don't want, um, you know, tank tops okay. and, and shorts um, just to respect their culture. It's not a rule of any kind mm-hmm. in the camp, but we feel like if, that's important to them. You know, we're not asking for, for their heads to be covered or anything like that. Just, mm-hmm. you know, at least t-shirt, not tank top and, uh, yeah. you know, capris rather than shorts, those kind that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, and you know, often probably we're teaching teams to avoid, uh, issues of politics and things, but just, um, other hot topic, you know, cultural attitudes or things that could possibly come up in conversation. Um, my guess might be issues of sexuality and gender identity. Um, and again, Europe isn't one thought mind. So there, I'm sure different countries yeah. have different perspectives on that, but can you give us a, a feel for, um, what um, what is the environment towards those things and how Christians can communicate love without compromising perhaps their their um, biblical beliefs? Yeah, and that's you know that's going to be that's always going to be a challenge. I would say Europe in general, you know, as we talk about postmodern post-Christian, um, that also in general means they're they're more tolerant to. Um, you know, be open to other people's beliefs, which means, you know, um, uh, I think sexuality is viewed a little differently in Europe. Um, I can explain that a little bit more, but let me get back to your question. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think I think homosexuality and, you know, uh, um, other topics of that nature are in general, you know, the perspective is if it doesn't hurt me, then, then why should I be against it? You know, um, mm-hmm. for non-believers in Europe. Um, I think that as, is as, it a taboo topic that people don't talk about or is it freely debated and talked about? I think it would take a little bit of time to be in discussion with somebody before it would turn to a topic like that. That's, that's, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's an interesting dichotomy because a lot um, in general, uh, North American culture is a little more free to talk about topics um, more quickly with people, I think, than mm-hmm. maybe Europeans would be. Um, okay. So okay. especially if it's something that's very personal to them, it may not it they may not open up to having a conversation like that. 
Um, you brought up politics as well. Politics, on the other hand, uh, especially I've noticed here in Germany, if somebody sees an American, oh man, they want to ask, you know, especially when, when during our election season and all the campaigning and everything, yeah. they, they want to ask some questions and try to get your perspective on it. Um, but I'll be honest, I often, um, I don't usually engage in those conversations because mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how productive they'll be. Now, it, it, again, it depends. I have some German friends that I would, that I would have those conversations with no problem. We'd walk away and nobody would, you know, nobody would think any differently about the other. But if it's somebody that I've just met in a, in a new setting and they ask me about it, um, especially if I can tell that it's sort of a loaded question, they're about to be critical. I'll just say, you know, mm -hmm. oh yeah, it's a, it's a crazy situation there right now. I'm, I'm glad that I have, I'm glad that I have somebody else that I can put my trust in rather than the leaders of my Good. country or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And, and by the way, for people listening, there's a great answer and a great way to deflect, uh, you know, you're on the airplane, the person next to you is European finds out you're, this happened to me too. I'm sure a thousand times to you find out yeah. you're American and go, Oh yeah. What do you think about that Trump guy? Or what do you think about Obama? Or, you know, what do you think about the war in the Middle East, you know, under what, whatever president, you know, it was at the time? Um, that's a great answer. If you're listening to this and you need an answer of how to deflect uh, a question, there it is. It's a crazy yeah. time, but I'm glad I have somebody I can trust in. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, thinking about, um, again, kind of going back to this idea that it sounds like, um, you know, uh, authenticity and relationship is still at the heart of serving in um, in Europe in a post-Christian, maybe even more so in a post-Christian context. I, I feel like even in my own communities here in the United States, which are more than saturated with churches and people who have heard of Jesus, it's almost like um, you're just planting seeds until there's a crisis in their life and this becomes relevant, you know? So um, the authenticity and relationships really make sense. Um, what uh, are there certain things that team members should be prepared to share? Perhaps it's their testimony or perhaps it's a way of sharing their testimony or, um, a, you know, a, a life verse, or are there certain things that, uh, as uh, short-term missionaries should be prepared to be able to share um, when they yeah. get into conversations. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely encourage people to to uh, really have their personal story prepared um, to, to even spend some time practicing that with others. And, you know, you, you want your uh, you want your elevator version. You know, what could you mm -hmm. say in an elevator mm -hmm. ride? You know, that doesn't happen very often, but that's just what we call it. Um, you know, so you want you want to be able to give a, a quick uh, version of who you are and and why why you would be doing something like that and kind of your 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 short testimony, um, and then be prepared to you know give some more detail. You know, I know I know that some people can be afraid. You know, hey, I don't know the exact way to share the gospel. That that's okay. You know, there are tools and and we even provide a few resources that people people can use. Uh, there's one called C to C. Um, there's, there's a number of different methods for sharing the gospel. And we, part of our pre-field training is we actually go through some of those and just allow people to get comfortable with some tools. Um, I'd say 
more often than not, rather than using a formal tool, it's going to be your story that has an impact. You know, letting somebody know why you believe what you believe. You know, what what's different about you um, because you follow Christ. Uh, and and some people that's harder. I get it because you know I grew up in a Christian family. I went to church you know, my all my life, and here I am. I'm I'm a Christian. Um, that's okay too, though. That's, you know, being able to, being able to describe, um, you know, the reason that you want to share your love with others, you know, Mm -hmm. the overwhelming sense of, of God's love in your life. Um, so yeah, I think, I think in, in preparation, it's understanding your testimony, feeling comfortable talking about it. Um, you know, I mentioned that I that I had an opportunity to to share the gospel with somebody on a, on a flight recently. Well, that wasn't me, you know, doing a back of a napkin sketch of what it looks like to come to Christ. It wasn't me pulling out my Bible. It was me, you know, having a conversation with a young man and just saying, "Hey, look, you know what? I believe that there's truth out there, and I I, I see, you know, based on this this person's story, I see that you're hurting and that." You know, maybe you need to know what this truth is and just kind of having that dialogue and letting letting it go where it goes without feeling like you have to lay out every point of the gospel to them all at one time. Um, so, yeah, yeah ag- again, there are, there are some books we recommend um, and there are some tools that we have, uh, uh, you know, that others have created um, for quick ways to share the gospel if you do find yourself in that position. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a lot of us maybe have grown up with the idea of sharing the gospel as um, being a solution to um, future hell. <laughs> you know, it's, it, I don't want to say it's fire insurance. Sometimes we call it yeah. that fire insurance. I, I think we've grown up with it as you got to uh, maybe it's the four spiritual laws and maybe we're dating our aging ourselves here. But, you know, you kind of feel like I've got to establish that this person is a, a sinner and help them right. come to grips with their sin and, and show them what the problem is and then show them that this is a solution. And it, it almost sounds like, um, and, and I think this may even be similar in America. It's less about that and more about helping people understand how actually Jesus is the answer now, not, you know, it, he's the hope now, not just for your eternity. He's, he's all the things we said. He, it, salvation is the answer to hell for eternity, but, um, when somebody already kind of has heard that they have to know why it's relevant. And uh, it sounds like maybe one of the, one of our jobs is to, to be able to share, find that part of our testimony or find that way that God has worked in our life. And perhaps the person who grew up in church all their life and has faithfully followed Jesus is actually the most relevant thing to somebody who's grown up around the Christian faith and and wonders why it's relevant. So finding out how does, how is God relevant in my life and where is that connecting point to theirs? I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. Um, let's see. So, you know, kind of thinking about um, culture and how we prepare people, you know, to, to go into culture. Of course, you mentioned a lot of those things, uh, having an open mind, uh, listening before speaking, you know, all those kind of general ways of embracing a new culture. We talked about uh, some of the, in a sense, culturally specific stuff about 
view towards God and the afterlife and religion and it being kind of a, a tradition more than a relationship, but there's still spiritual spirituality out there um, about the centrality of relationships. Um, any, anything else that you would mention that would be important to understand as um, a short-term missionary going to serve uh, in Europe? Mm. Um, and if not, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, again, I think I would circle back around to this idea that, uh, you know, no matter how much we prepare, no matter how much we think we're ready is always, always, always come into it with a mindset of being ready to be, um, you know, flexible in the setting that you're in, be ready to, um, you know, not have things go the way you expect them to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you spend all that time preparing your testimony and, and, and knowing it inside out and you go through the whole trip and you find out you don't have, uh, you didn't have an opportunity, don't give up. It might be on the flight home. It might be, yeah. you know, 10 weeks after you get back home, you suddenly realize here's somebody I can share my story with. Um, so mm-hmm. it's great to have an idea of what your goal is on a short-term trip, but just be ready to have that flexibility to say, you know what, it, it, it's going to go differently. It may go differently and mm-hmm. God is in control and, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do in it. Yeah. Neat. Okay. So, um, greater your mission, you guys are obviously, how, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in serving in Europe, um, and, and developing a partnership or serving there, uh, how can they get a hold of you or greater your mission? Yeah, so we've got uh, two two avenues that are that are easy to remember. So one is our website, which is gemteams.org. So g e m t e a m s dot org. Okay. Um, and then if you take gem teams and put the at symbol and gemission.org is our email address. So gemteams at GE for greater Europe mission.org. Excellent. And we'll put those in the show notes so people can contact you guys. Okay. So last question, maybe you're prepared for this. Maybe you're not because I didn't really say it, but okay. Why would people send short-term mission teams to Europe that already has the gospel instead of whatever 1040 window or whatever impoverished place uh so uh, maybe maybe you're prepared with this pitch anyway um but um yeah why uh why why should short-term teams serve in europe yeah yeah so um i would say there's a few reasons one is that if you um you know, if you compare the missions focus to someplace like europe as compared to the 1040 window europe is very underreached. Um, there is a, a vast, vast need for people to hear the gospel here in Europe. Um, I would say on a per capita basis, it's it's one of the higher places in the world. Um, it, there are some that are obviously higher, but it is an interesting uh, sort of shift in that, um, you know, historically, Europe was a, a center of Christianity and now it's not. And that center is actually shifting south into, into some of those 1040 window areas and beyond. Um, and so 
that's that's really important. We also, you know, at Greater Europe Mission, we believe that that Europe is influential worldwide. And so what what we mean by that is that as we're reaching Europeans, those Europeans actually have opportunity to reach other parts of the world. And so, um, you know, we we focus on Europe, but with a global mindset. Um, and so I think it's it's very eye opening as people come on short term trips into Europe and really see um, what the true nature of the Christian environment is here. Yeah, excellent. And by the way, I would say, um, actually, that's me playing devil's advocate. I actually kind of despise that kind of thought process as if um, somebody who doesn't know Jesus in one place is somehow more valuable than somebody who yeah. doesn't know Jesus in another place. So <laughs> we'll have to give you a chance to uh, to uh, to share that. And that's and that's true. And, you know, we talk in the United States that the nations are coming to our doorstep. And yeah. uh, if we can reach, we know that we are reaching people passing through who are on the way mm-hmm. um, to places where we couldn't go. And I think there's no doubt that Europe is that way as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're looking forward to uh, uh, the Olympics in 2024 in France, because we think that's going to be a really, mm-hmm. really unique opportunity with short term teams and with being able to serve not only the local community, but also people that are passing through from, from all over the world. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Good. So start planning your European mission trip for 2024. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Gene, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to share with us and um, you, uh, our listeners can get a hold of you at gemteams.org or gemteams at gemission.org. And those will be in the show notes. And uh, thanks again for joining us. All right. Thanks, Tori. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Better Mission Trips podcast from Standards of Excellence in Short-Term Mission, or SOE for short. For more information or resources about how to make your mission trips better, or even to become a member of SOE, visit us at our website, soe.org. And a special thank you to Melissa White for producing this episode.